Hey family, it's good to see you all. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here. It's a pleasure to be with you. If you're online, thank you for being with us. It's good, good for you to be with us and I'm thankful for you. Uh, to all the kids online and in person, it's good to see you guys. It's, thank, um, thank you for watching. Thank you for being here. Hi. How are you? You can say hi. <laughs> or point at the sky. That's cool too. Um, hi. That's awesome. Well, it is Advent season, and I am so excited for us to be able to celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we get into the Word today, I I have a couple announcements. First of all, uh, we are doing a Bible journey, a Christmas Bible journey, where we will be taking you through some of the the biblical texts that that deal with the, the prophecy, the promise, and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to take part in that, uh, you can pick up your Bible journey kit. We've got devotionals that go from December 1st through the 24th, uh, and and we hope that this will be an encouragement to you, that it's something that will continue to to build up your faith. If you're online, you can actually text uh, Bible Journey, I think it is, yes, Bible Journey, one word, to 474747, and you can get a digital copy of of the calendar as well as the, the, uh, the devotional. Um, if you need a physical copy, reach out to us, and, and we'll see what we can do to make that happen if you're, not, if you're not here. Also, kids, listen up. We have our kids' Advent kit, so if you didn't pick one up, you can do that, okay? Just talk to your mom and dad. We have them available. Or you can text GCC Advent to, again, 474747, and, and we'll get it mailed to you. So... If you want to take part in that, please do. We hope that it's encouraging and helpful. There may be some candy in there. I'm not saying for certain, but it'd be worth checking out. Um, finally, we are doing a Toys for Tots drive, and we're partnering with Mobile Hope and, and DHS, Dominion High School, to collect uh, new toys, not, not you know used toys. Don't give us your, your stuff you're done with. Uh, give us some toys. Uh, you, we're collecting through December 10th, so if you want to drop them off on Sunday, you can do that. Uh, you can get all the information at 474747. Just text OUTREACH to 474747. You're going to hear that phrase. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night, 474747. Well, something I need to do about that number. Text OUTREACH to 474747. Um, all right, th- those are our announcements. Um, yeah. So thank you for joining us. It is Advent season, and this is a season where we remember the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, it is November 29th, and so you might be saying, but it's, it's, not, it's not Christmas time yet. Although, I, it, I would almost want to take a straw poll. How many of you, um, if you're online, let our host know, how many of you have noticed that this year Christmas uh, gifts, decorations, all the stuff seems to have just gone up more readily than in any other year. Have you noticed that? I feel like because of COVID, everyone's like, it's Christmas time. I don't care. Thanksgiving doesn't give me anything. I want Christmas time. And so I, I feel like I'm ready. I feel like we're ready. You know, it's, it's God's sovereign grace that, that this is the year that Christmas comes early, even though it still comes on the 25th. Anyhow, so we are celebrating. This is the first the first week of Advent, and, and so we are going to be looking at a text that, that God gave us. It's, it's in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus would come, and it was a prophecy given to this guy, Isaiah, 
And, and we're going to hear more about the situation that he's prophesying into, that he's speaking into. But, but really, it was, it was paving the way and preparing the way for our coming Savior. It was giving the, the people of the Old Testament, the Israelites, a picture of who this great king would be, a royal son. Someone who would come and he would, he would bring redemption. He would bring um, wholeness and holiness. And he would correct the wrongs that were existing in the, the Israel, Israelite people. And, and in so doing, he would also bring redemption to us. So open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 6 and 7. So we get to do our, our scripture reading after all. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. If you are in the room, stand up with us. This is a moment for us to be encouraged from scripture together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we we gaze at your scriptures and the promises that you made in preparation for your son's coming, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are a God over creation and over time and you were able to prepare the way long before Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem. And Lord, we recognize that you had a plan and a purpose that you were going to fulfill in Jesus Christ, and you give us a glimpse of that in this word. And God, I pray that as we we look at this prophecy, as we consider what you spoke through Isaiah, I pray that you would help us to put our hope in Emmanuel, God with us. That we would not put our hope in kings or rulers or other idols, Lord, that we wouldn't put our hope in our own abilities, our own strengths, in other relationships, but our hope would be in you because you became man, Emmanuel, God with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Isaiah is is an interesting book of the Bible. It's, It's different than a lot of other books, the prophetic Books of the Bible tend to be different in, in the way they present things. Isaiah was, was preaching to the people of Israel. It was a divided kingdom. So you had, you had David, then you had Solomon, and it was a united kingdom. And then after Solomon, Solomon's sons divided the kingdom. There was, there was discord. And so you had the northern king, kingdom of Israel and the, the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and Isaiah is specifically speaking to Judah, although his... His prophecies involve the northern kingdom as well, as well as some of the surrounding other kingdoms. And so he's speaking, God is speaking through Isaiah to tell the people of Judah that God was going to judge their wickedness and unfaithfulness to God. This is, this is really chapters 1 through, one through 9, we get judgment and hope. And that, that theme continues on in the book. God promises to send Assyria to take over and judge the nation. So he was going to use a foreign, 
uh, non-chosen nation to judge his chosen nation for their disobedience to him because they had chosen to disobey the, the laws of the covenant. Um, and at the same time, Isaiah also spoke of the hope of a coming king. So that although Israel had, had, or Judah had chosen to disobey and Israel had also chosen to disobey, even though the people had walked away from the covenant that God had made with them, that, that he would be their God and they would be his people and they would follow him and obey and blessings would come, because they disobeyed, there would be curses and judgments. But even though that was happening, God was saying, I have hope for you. Is that encouraging? That's encouraging that even as God is coming into discipline, he says, but I've got hope coming afterwards. I've got, I've got promises coming afterwards that are not dependent on you. They're dependent on, on me. And that's, that's an encouragement for us today because that's the way that God works. That's his, that's his mode of operation. He may bring discipline, but he brings hope. And so we see in chapter 7, if we were to go back, chapter 7, he speaks of this one called Emmanuel, this child who would be God with us. That in some way, shape, or form, God was going to come and he was going to be with his people in a redemptive way. And then in chapter 9, we get the, the well-known, for unto us a child is born. I said unto because I, I learned the King James. Because that's the one we all have, have heard. Unto us a child is born. So, as I said before, he says in verse 6, For to us... A child is born, to us a son is given. This is a prophecy about a child, and one of the neat things about God is he, he takes our ideas of, of power, of strength, of kingdom, and he flips them on his head. You know, the people of Israel, they were going to run to, they were running to Assyria. They were actually asking for help from another nation, thinking that that nation was going to be more powerful to fight their enemy. Syria and, and actually Israel were, were planning to, to fight Judah, and, and Judah was trying to go to Assyria and say, will you please help me? And what is God's plan for help? His plan is a little baby. Now, many of you have held a baby. You've seen a baby. I've got a lot of baby pictures and videos of a baby. But it... it, it it's not what we think of when we think of power. It's not what we think of when we think of strength. He says, for unto us, or for to us, a child is born, and a son is given. Now, if we were to go back to, to chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, he speaks about Emmanuel, and he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, he, he is promising, God is promising a child who would be God with us. A, a child is God, going to be God with us. Try to, we don't have a nativity, so that's, we'll have one on Christmas Eve. But, and that's, that's appropriate. We're holding off for Christmas Eve. But, but when we think about the nativity, sometimes we just think in terms of, hey, it's, it's little baby Jesus and, and, and Joseph and Mary. And, and it's kind of this cultural thing. But just step back and, and try to hear this like Isaiah heard it and, and then spoke it. You, you want redemption? You want salvation? You want, to be, you want to be pulled out of that pit? You want to be freed from your slavery? I've got the solution. Here's a baby. Here's a child. You, you, you might think to yourself, what? Huh? 
He, he says a child. And he goes on to say, to us a son is given. Now this is not, it's not coincidence. This is not a situation where, oh, there's a, there's a baby that's born because a, a husband and a wife love each other and, and, and a baby happens. This is not, this is not happenstance. If, if a son is given, then there has to be a giver. As John says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his son. God had a plan and purpose that he was executing in giving a son, in giving this child, in providing this redeemer. And what, he would, what is he going to do? Let's continue. He says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. The government shall be on his shoulder. This little child is going to carry government. This is again, he's flipping the idea of, of a king, a ruler on its head. You think about he's speaking to Ahaz, the, the king of Judah, and, and Ahaz is thinking about the other rulers around him, and, and his idea of strength and of power and of governmental authority is being flipped on its head, and he's saying, You know, you know what? God's child is better than your adult. God's child is stronger than your greatest king. The government is going to be on, not my shoulder, not their shoulder, not their shoulder, but on on his shoulder. This is good news, family. This has not changed. As a side note, just to sidestep this thing, Christian, if you are in this room and you are struggling to maintain control in your life, maybe you're trying to put the government on your shoulders. Maybe you're trying to carry the government of your life, of your government, of your, of your work, your employment, your, your relationships on your shoulders and carrying a weight that's inappropriate for you to carry when God was saying, no, the government's on his shoulders. He says the government will be on his shoulders and let's keep going. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four names to describe the identity of of this royal son. Four names. First, he calls him Wonderful Counselor. And the phrase there, it, it, it means Counselor of Wonder. And, and, and there's this idea of a miraculous counselor, a wise counselor. And if you were to go back and read the first few chapters of, of Isaiah, you see that the people of Israel, the, Ju- the people of Judah, have been living in an unwise way. That they have been pursuing unwise things. They, they have been pursuing idolatry. And, and God is saying, I'm going to bring someone who's going to be full of wisdom. He's going to be the wisest of the wise. He's going to have counsel for you that will help you to live and direct your life. He will bring knowledge to you. Later, Isaiah goes on to describe him as the one who, on whom the spirit of knowledge dwells. The spirit of, of wisdom and of strength wise counselor, and he goes on to say, mighty God. Now, some, some people have tried, commentators and, and other people have tried to say, well, this, he's just talking about a king, and this is it's not really a, um, this is, we're not talking about anything divine, we're not talking about anything uh, God-like. But you can't call someone mighty God, at least in the context of the Israelites, and have it mean anything less than mighty God. There were other nations, absolutely, that they would call their kings, you know, God. Uh, Egypt was one example where they would try to name their kings according to their gods and, and kind of draw a line and say, this king is divine. But in Israel, that was not something that you did. At most, 
At most, the kings were servants and, and speakers for God, but they were not, they were not God themselves. And so for, for Isaiah to say that this king is going to be mighty God, is, it's significant. And, and we see that he says he's mighty God. It's a term that's always referred to God in the Old Testament. Even in, in chapter 10, verse 21, the name mighty God is des- used to describe God himself. If we were to go to chapter 10, verse 21, it says this. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. And it's, it's talking about God himself. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate, again, more than just a cute nativity scene. We celebrate our mighty God entering into created creation. I, I'm, I'm so thankful for starting here because I think sometimes, especially in our culture, we can, we can get sidetracked for, from seeing the, the, the grandeur of what God did in the first Christmas. You know, I've got this, this little people nativity. It's got little kid baby characters, and you've got shepherds, and you've got cute little lambs, and a, and a cartoony uh, uh, stable. And, and it's cute. And it's, it's a neat way to teach kids about, about Christmas. But it, it misses one thing in that we don't see the fact that, that this little baby you know, lying in the manger is a mighty God that somehow in, in, in bringing flesh to this baby, this little baby was sustaining all of creation. That, that by his breath, by his heartbeat, by his living and existing God and man, or God and baby, all of creation was, was being held together. He's a mighty God. He goes on, he says, everlasting father. Now that might be something that you and I struggle with as we think of Jesus, because we don't think of him as father, we think of God the Father as father. And that's not inappropriate. God the Father is father. God the Son is the Son in relation to one another. But the language here speaks of a royal king who treats his people as his children that he provides for, he protects, he cares for his people, and as such, he is their father. This little child, this little son, this royal son would be an everlasting father. He's not just a good father some of the time. He's not just a good father for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. He's not just a good father for, for uh, one term or, or two terms, four years or eight years. He's not just a, a good king for a short period of time. He's an everlasting father. Father, again, we see that this is God coming to us. He's not just, not just a person, not just a, a, a human. This is God in some way, shape, or form. Isaiah is saying there's going to be one who's going to be better than every king available. He's saying to Ahaz, don't trust in horses and chariots. Don't trust in, in other, what looks like strength here. Trust in the one who is going to be the mighty God and the everlasting Father whose rule is going to be for a very long time. How long is everlasting? Forever. He's the everlasting father and he provides everlasting care as one who sacrificially provides and protects his people. I don't know what your relationship with your father was like. I don't know what your relationship is with government. But my guess is there's not a trust level 
that would allow you to trust them forever. For some of you, it's, it's, more, it's more acute. Your, your relationship to your father was rough or it didn't exist. And as so, you, you might struggle to relate to this. Or, or maybe, because we're talking about a king, maybe when you think about government and you think about kings or, or presidents, you think about corruption or greed or, or failure. But he is a good Father, an everlasting Father. And we're going to see as we continue on that his lordship, his, his kingdom is going to be one based on justice and righteousness, that he is a good, everlasting Father. Family, there is hope for us. There is comfort. There is security for you because you, if you're in Christ, you have an everlasting Father in Christ. You have a, a king who loves you, who cares for you. And if, you were to, if we were to fast forward to the New Testament, we would see that he lays down his life for you. He lives an extremely difficult life of obedience to his father in order that you and I might be treated like an obedient son or daughter. He dies a horrible death on the cross, bearing the wrath of God in order that you and I might experience the blessing of our father. He is a good king and an everlasting father. What else does he say? He's an everlasting father, and ultimately he's the prince of peace. Peace defines this ruler. When I think of kings, I like to think of William Wallace. I like to think of warrior kings. I like to think of rulers. I like to think of those who, who wield the sword. But, but Isaiah leads out with him being the prince of what? Peace. He comes not as a military tactician, not as a, a powerful emperor, but what? As a vulnerable little baby. Even the strongest baby, when, when he or she is born, they can't control their own reflexes. Now, I learned about when I had, we had our first, we took this class at, at Loudoun, the, the birthing center or whatever, and, and we took this class and learned about babies, you know, Put a diaper on its bottom, not on its head, and you know it sleeps at night. You got to feed it, and all the all the basics. But one of the things that I, as a young father, um, I caught on to was they have these reflexes. One of which is if if you kind of scare them or jostle them as babies, they kind of do this. And any nurse knows this. Um, and and so I would lovingly hold my child. And don't judge me several years younger, and I'll just kind of do this, just to see them go like that. Just to see their, their reflex. That's why I'm the dad, not the mom. And they're better for it, I don't know. Um, they're alive, everything's well. And, but but they're, they're incapable of controlling themselves. And yet, God chose to show his strength. God chose to, to establish peace by, by doing so through a little baby. And, and again, when we think of peace, sometimes we think of serenity. Turn the page. You are at a lake. There is clear, still water. And, and we want to think of that kind of, I'm just going to tap into my happy place. And I'm not saying you should do this anyways. What I'm saying is that peace 
we sometimes think of it as just the lack of, of, of difficulty. But if he's the prince of peace, if, he's the, he, if he comes to bring an everlasting peace because he's, he's the everlasting father, if he's the, the, the king who is going to reign forever, then his peace is established because no one else can, can stand up against him. This is not just a peace that's, that's well, let's, let's all hold hands and become. This is a peace where, where the large, strong Doug Nagel walks into the room and, and every, no one's going to argue with Doug. I wish Doug was here. Is he? If you don't know, Doug is a very strong man. He has broader shoulders than I am tall. And, and he, he commands attention. And when he walks into a room, there's, there's peace. It's not peace necessarily because everyone agrees with Doug, but no one's going to say anything. The same is true of, of God. His peace is a peace that comes from the power that he has, the strength that he has. Family, you may be in a tumultuous situation in life. You may be in, in some of the most difficult moments of your life, and you're coming to church kind of just holding it together, you know, kept together by, by duct tape and, and good wishes. But my encouragement is that you have a prince of peace in Jesus Christ who, who overcomes our problems. He doesn't just say, you know what, let's just think happy thoughts. No, he steps into the room and it gets quiet. He's the prince of peace. Do you need peace today? Where, where have you been looking for peace? I know, you know, parents, you've been looking for peace and quiet. And so you're looking for serenity. But what does it look like for you to be peaceful in the midst of chaos? You know, maybe, maybe you're looking for peace at work. Maybe things are getting really challenging because it's end of year and, and you're having to get all the accounts receivable and payable and everything. I don't know, I'm just throwing out terms hoping it'll catch. Um, may, maybe you are, are in the middle of some really challenging times and you're looking for peace. You, you might not find it at your own job. You might not find it in your marriage. You might not find it in, in your parenting. This may be a season of challenge for you. But that doesn't mean that peace is unavailable to you. It means that you're looking in the wrong place for peace. Come to the Prince of Peace and receive the peace that comes from God. Now, as we look at these, these are descriptors, at least the the last three. They're descriptors of God. Right? Wonderful counselor. We we might even be able to say that 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 has some connotations of, of divinity. But certainly... The other ones, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As we begin to unpack that, we see that Isaiah is saying, God is going to come with you. He's going to come to you. And, and it goes back to that, that chapter 7 prophecy, that God is going to be with us. Emmanuel. This Christmas season, as you think about Emmanuel, as you sing you know, jingle bells, and, and we, we look at all these wonderful things that remind us about Christmas, let's, let's not allow our cultural packaging to, to numb us to the fact that God has chosen to dwell with his people. This child, this divine human child, would be an ultimate r- ruler. We're going to go through the rest of this pretty quickly. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. In other words, there will be no end to his increase of government and peace. Right? He's just saying the same thing over again. When... when 
When you're an everlasting father, when you are a king of kings, your, your authority just increases. It doesn't decrease. It doesn't stop. You don't lose authority because you are the king. Not the king of this area or this area. This area. You're the king. His government will increase and his peace, the peace of his government will increase. And on the throne of David, it'll increase on the throne of David and over his kingdom. This king who would come, he would come after the line of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises to David, I said Daniel, David, not Daniel. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises to David that, that he would, that God would establish his throne forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is a promise that God had made to David and he was fulfilling it in this child. Jesus comes and he, he is of the lineage of David. That's why in Matthew and Luke you see these, these genealogies because they're trying to draw the line to some of the promises that God made. And we see that, that Jesus is of the line of David. He would fulfill God's earlier promise to David. And he goes on and he says this, to establish and uphold this kingdom with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is a kingdom established on justice and righteousness. Family, if you feel turmoil in your soul, if you feel frustrated with the state of our nation, if you feel frustrated with your local government, if you feel frustrated, and, and not to, to beat what feels like a dead horse, but, but we live in a world that allows us to feel the frustration of the lack of justice and righteousness. And, and that can do some things to you. My hope is that it would sensitize you to the need for us to experience the justice and the righteousness of God. Absolutely, there are things we can do here and now. We can vote. We can be active in, in local government. We can write letters and, and, and be activists. We can do things. But let's not forget the fact that ultimately, there's only one who can establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Because there's only one human who's existed who has not been affected by sin and the fall, Jesus Christ himself. There's only one who's lived a perfect, obedient life to the Father, who's, who's read, read this book and understood it and followed it. He's establishing the kingdom on justice and righteousness. There's no, cor- there's no corruption, no injustice. This is a king who can right every wrong and pre- punish every injustice. We, we, we sometimes can think about this as, well, that's good to know far away, you know, for our nation. It's good to know for, for the church but for your own personal life, this is what allows you to forgive people. And when I said that, there, there might have been one or two people who came to your mind. Those are people that you need to forgive. That you need to let go and say, God, I forgive them. But sometimes we struggle to forgive because we feel like if I, if I let go of this, then justice and, and wickedness will reign. And, and what Isaiah is telling us is, is No. God is a just God. And in other places it says, vengeance is the Lord, leave it to him to repay. It doesn't say, leave it to him to just let it fall to the floor and, well, I guess we're just going to let that one go. No, we trust that God is a just God. If you've got a family member who's, who's wronged you, I'm not saying that you, 
you say that what they did was right. That's not forgiveness. What you're doing is you're saying, I release you from, from that, that, that bitterness that I have in my soul. There might be things that they need to do to restore trust. There may be things that they need to do to, to uh, restore relationship. But you're giving them a clean slate. And you can do that because what? We have a prince of peace. We have a God who is establishing a kingdom based on righteousness and justice. This is, this is a good thing because I can tell you, I, if I try to establish my own kingdom on righteousness and justice, I will fail in like 10 seconds. I probably failed on the way in. And I love you family, but you probably did too. <laughs> what kind of lasting judges, uh, justice and righteousness can you establish in your home? Uh, not, not to say that we don't try. We absolutely want to create homes and, and neighborhoods and counties and states and nations that are established in righteousness and justice. We, we certainly want to pursue that. But our ability to, to hold tight to that is pretty minimal. Whereas here we see this royal son, he's going to be one who will establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness forever. How do we know that this is going to happen? He, he finishes by saying, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He didn't even just say the Lord of hosts. And that phrase there, Lord of hosts, that's Lord Yahweh, covenant-keeping God of hosts. Right? He's Lord over the angels, over the angelic beings, over, over lots of things. He is Lord of all these things. He will do it. He doesn't just say that. He says the zeal of the Lord will do that. Honestly, I don't know that I even want to see the zeal of the Lord. Like the Lord is intense enough without him saying specifically, my zeal is going to accomplish that. Like God is pretty passionate about most things. I don't know of many things about which God is not passionate. I can't think of anything. Because even if, you know, well, God, he doesn't care about uh, the, the hairs falling off. Your, no, he, does, he, he knows how many hairs are on my head. He doesn't care about, uh, you know, the grass dying in, in the wintertime. He knows, he, he, Jesus says in Matthew 6 that he cares about the grass. He's passionate. So what does it look like for him to be zealous about something? That, that ought to give you and me pause. Isaiah is something, he's saying something very specific. He's saying, he's saying the zeal of the, you want to see that this is going to happen? Yahweh who is a covenant-keeping God. He's, he's a God who says, I will do what I promise to do, and then he does it, right? There's, there's firmness, there's security, there's assurance that that's going to happen. But then he takes it to another level. He's really passionate about this whole redemption thing. He, he's really, he's zealous about this. He's going to make this happen. Now, Isaiah was speaking to some people who were hard-hearted and they wouldn't listen. But today we have the privilege of hearing this message to us and listening. And we're not so far off, family. We live in a world that tries to run to other kings and other strengths and other things to bring relief, to bring peace, to bring justice. And today God is saying freshly, as we enter into this Advent season, Remember that God has come to be our wonderful counselor, our everlasting father, 
our mighty God, our Prince of Peace. He has come to establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness in your life. His kingdom is... It's not a physical manifestation out, you know, where there are walls. No, wherever there are obedient people of God, there his kingdom is. Wherever the king is, as we said, there he is. There the kingdom is. And he's establishing that kingdom in your life and in my life. And he's establishing a kingdom of peace in your life and in my life. And family, if you don't see the peace, if you don't see the justice, if you don't see the righteousness, go to the king. This Christmas season, I want to encourage you, go to the king. Take your problems to the king. Take your burdens to the king. Take your problem, take your your struggle with sin to the king. Take your relational issues to the king. Take your fear over, over provision and money to the king. And allow him to be the king of kings in your life. Allow him to tr- to, to, to show you that he is trustworthy. Allow him to show you that he really is the Prince of Peace. This royal son, he, is, he has come. Jesus has come. And we get to participate in seeing his redemptive work, in seeing his kingdom of righteousness and justice established. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have made this happen, that the zeal of the Lord will do this. Lord, as, as the poet Robert Burns says, the best laid plans of, of mice and men often grow awry, but, but your plans, they never go awry. They never go astray. You never fail. God, and you planned and you provided a, a son, a child, who would be our Prince of Peace, who would be our Mighty God, who would be our Everlasting Father, who would be our Wonderful Counselor, who would establish justice and righteousness and would allow us to live lives free of unforgiveness, free of bitterness, free of fear, because we know that our God is establishing justice, our God is establishing righteousness. If if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've looked at Christmas as a fun time to, to give and get presents, but you've not really thought about the significance of, of what's happening, I would encourage you to trust in God. Trust the royal son that he sent, Jesus Christ. Trust his sacrifice on the cross for your sins to take away the, the judgment and the guilt of your sin and to give you eternal life to give you peace, to give you freedom from bitterness. If that's you, if you want to trust in Jesus today, I just want you to raise your hand. If you're online, I want you to let one of our uh, hosts know. You just pray this prayer. God, I trust you. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. Thank you for sending him to die on the cross for my sins in my place. Help me to follow him today and forevermore. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.